We are live on a Tuesday Longhorn live stream, and uh, what a Tuesday it is. It's not just one of the biggest games of the year coming up on Saturday as the Longhorns start the month of November. Uh, the college football playoff rankings have been released, and we are ready to go. The Longhorns, will it be a November to remember, or will it be disappointing? Because the Longhorns have put themselves in a position to go either way. It's fork in the road time for Texas. They're 7-1. and one. Uh, they're sitting where they want to be, but they've got uh, four big games to go that will decide whether this is a great season or a disappointing season for Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns. The Longhorn live stream, I'm Aaron Hogan. You see Jerry Hamilton and the lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Guys, it's going to be fun. Uh, all, you know, we go back to the talking season of uh, you know July and August and into September. What would it be? Now here we are into the final month of the regular season, and a lot has been accomplished. There's still a lot to do, a lot to fix, but at the same time, First time in a long time, the Longhorns are being discussed on a it national level. It matters for the first time, Aaron. It matters. It matters. <laughs> yeah. it matters for the first time in a long time. Rod, you you covered this program, played at this program. You were there when it was rising to the top, and feels like we're, we're getting back there that we're talking about the Longhorns ranked number seven in the uh, college football playoff rankings just released, uh, playing potentially in the month of November to play in a Big 12 title game. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, right? Uh, and it's great for the team. And Sarks talked about it. Might be a little too early right now to be discussing it. But for Texas, as long as they take care of business, all the other stuff will take care of itself. They're not totally in control of their own fate, but mostly they are because we know, you know, the football gods, they'll have a lot of these uh, teams in front of Texas. They'll be, you know, tested. Uh, they'll have to play some marquee games, some marquee matchups. Texas still Got a you know a Big Twelve title game if they take care of business. They got K State huge game. I mean this this is a big game for Texas. And I think we all understand the magnitude of yep. it. Uh, and uh, there, there's so much that this game represents for Steve Sarkeesian in 2023. Um, and we'll talk about it obviously, but I think this team has shown that they are uh, a, a resilient one, and they got a, they got good football character, and they're not perfect. They're flawed. We talk about the flaws all the time because we're close to it. But man, I think they are good. They got good football DNA in this team. I, I think the great yeah. thing is, look, we're going to get to the college football pl first pl first playoff ranking. The one team we thought, okay, they may be the best this year. The team with the least flaws was Michigan. Now they have the biggest flaw. Um, so uh, nobody, nobody's without flaws this year. But, I, but Aaron, before you get going, I just want to congratulate Rod. And let him know he's got two more years of no trick or treating. Hey, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready, man. are off for the next eight. Okay, so I'm yeah. ready, Jerry. You know what my first costume is going to be? My first costume. I already got it ready. Is I'm it going to be a red zone? A giant red zone? <laughs> Ooh. Or maybe I'll go with the three high, three down. Ooh, that's scary. Um, but no, no. I'm going as Rod Babers. The old school lifetime Longhorn football player. I love it. I'm gonna wear my helmet. Boom. I'll wear my helmet around the neighborhood. I'll put a jersey on, and then I'll be just Rod B, baby. I'll be myself, but a, a younger, better version. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. No, that's good, Rod. But yeah, I bet your little baby not ready for that. I'm sure they'll have people ringing the doorbell here tonight trying to get some candy out of you. That's a good thing. We put thing. a sign out there. We put a sign out there that said, don't ring the doorbell. Just not quietly. We have the window open by the door and we like, we'll be ready with the candy. I told my wife though, if it comes around 7.30, 7.45, just put the candy outside the door and tell them, hey man, we done for the night. Y'all take oh. whatever y'all want. We trust y'all. We trust y'all. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, look forward to that for you because I'm through it all. Jerry, you're almost through it with the trick-or-treating uh, and the kids, but uh, that's a good thing. All right, so if you're just uh, tuning in, Ohio State's the number one team in the first college football playoff rankings. I'm actually impressed with the committee going with the most accomplished team here, a team that actually beat Notre Dame, beat Penn State. Second is Georgia, then Michigan, then Florida State. Uh, that's how it falls out here in the top, th top four. Uh, Washington comes in at number five. Yeah. Uh, Oregon is the highest ranked one loss team. And that's where the beauty pageant discussion comes for Texas. They are ranked seven right behind Oregon, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss round out the top state, top 10. Uh, but gentlemen, thoughts on Ohio State being the number one team to start this thing. We know it's a long process now from here to, to championship Saturday into the uh, finale on that Sunday after. But Ohio State, number one, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State. Ohio State has the best resume right now. I mean, they won at Notre Dame. Uh, and they beat Penn State. So 
they do have the best resume right now for me. It's perfectly understandable. Uh, Georgia, uh, if they handle business, they have Missouri at home. If they win at Tennessee, they'll end up probably uh, challenging for that number one spot. Of course, Ohio State still has Michigan left on the schedule, assuming uh, Michigan's uh, playing uh, football at that point, which we assume they will for right now. Uh, but I, I think Florida State's in Florida State's in a really good spot at four. Looking at the ACC guys, I mean, you know, we maybe a two-loss North Carolina will shock them in the ACC title game. But uh, how it plays out with Washington, Oregon, uh, if Texas continues winning, uh, is going to be uh, very, very interesting for me. Obviously, Texas has to have two teams ahead of them lose. Ohio State and Michigan play each other. If Texas gets to that point, then it's going to come down to. Uh, Really, you know, that Pac-12, and uh, do they beat each other up the last month of the season? Yeah, Matt, yeah. Uh, you can tell Sark's already campaigning, right? He talks about how Texas has the most impressive win of any team in college football, which he he right. I mean, I, honestly, when you stack that Texas, you know, win over Alabama and Tuscaloosa up against any other win by these top-ranked teams across the country, um, I mean, it really does right stand out. Uh, and I think that's a nice little selling point for Texas. He also brought up the fact, you know, and he keeps selling that Texas has their backup quarterback in there now. He brought that up several times in the last media availability, wanting the committee to know, hey, we're working with a backup quarterback for the time being. We won 35 to 6 with a backup. Just so you know, that's what right now that that's the uh the, the obstacle Texas has to overcome. They'll get Quinn back. So Sark, even though he's not being, you know, he's not being blatant about it, he's not being obvious about it, but every coach has got a campaign to their team now. This thing essentially becomes it comes down to you know the committee, and yeah, you gotta have some style points and um you gotta win in an impressive fashion, you gotta beat marquee opponents, ranked opponents. Uh, Texas has a chance this weekend to really set themselves apart because they don't have a lot of games left versus ranked teams because of the way the Big 12 is played out. So this K-State game, all that more important. Hey, and by the way, it's a very minor thing, Aaron. But look, one thing Sark can take from this tonight is, hey, guys, they don't think we've played very well. They put one loss Oregon over us, and we wanted Alabama. So are we going to go out and get our respect Saturday, or are we not? Hey, any bulletin board material slash chip on the shoulder uh, you can create. Because I would say this, I agree with Rod, and I agree with Sark. The Longhorns own the best best win of the year by anybody in the country right now. Oregon's win, excuse me, Washington's win was at home against Oregon. Ohio State was at Notre Dame, but we know Notre Dame had 10 men on the field on that final play, which is still a bizarre thing yes. to me. Uh, they won that game, but, man, to go on the road, beat Alabama, and obviously Alabama continuing to improve and get better. I think we're all would be in agreement that uh, Texas playing Alabama week two was ideal <laughs> to, to have them early, and they're getting better, which a Nick Saban team does. I would also add this. If you look at the uh, the seven wins for Texas, even eliminate Oklahoma because they lost that game, that was a rivalry game lost at the buzzer. But the seven wins, the Longhorns opponents that they played, own the best record of anybody in the country. So who have you beaten and who have you beaten beaten is always a big conversation. UT's opposing uh, wins are 40 and 24 this year. Uh, Penn State is second on that at 37 and 28. Bama's 37 and 27. How about Georgia all the way down at 28 and 37? Yeah. The opponents Georgia has beaten are 11 games under 500 or nine yeah. games under 500. Texas is our 16 over. So even the teams they've beaten are all power five. They're all winning teams. So it's, and, and Rod, you and I have talked about it quite a bit. The only thing keeping the Longhorns out of the number one hole or is their red zone offense right now. Uh, and I know that's the sore subject in the room, but. That's really what's preventing the Longhorns from being up there one, two in the country is what they do inside the five yard line right now. Yeah, the committee is sending mixed signals though, right? They uh they put Ohio State at number one because they like Ohio State's resume. Um, but then you know, they got Georgia at number two, and Georgia's there because of what they've done previously, and you know, what they obviously being back-to-back national champions. Uh, but they haven't necessarily ha- have the resume of an Ohio State or even a Florida State, actually. But Georgia last week without Brock Bowers looked really good, about the best offensive player that they have. Michigan, although been dominant, hell, they haven't even defended a, a down inside the 10-yard line. They haven't defended a first and goal inside the 10-yard line this year. They've actually scored more touchdowns on defense than they've allowed. Now, maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah, that's hellacious scouting. <laughs> Connor Stallions might deserve a raise, but my point is they've been dominant, but they haven't done it against anybody, right? They they right. haven't been tested just yet. So the committee's not ranking Michigan there because of resume. They're ranking Michigan there because of 
that the style points, right? And how they won, the impressive fashion in which they won. And then Florida State, which has a better resume than Michigan behind Michigan. So yeah, they're sending mid signals. They're basically letting you know that, hey man, we're still open for uh, any type of influence, right? If you can win impressively, if you can put together uh, a really st- nice string of victories, or if you can do it by a certain margin, they're still basically telling us with the first college football playoff rankings that anything can still influence the rankings, whether it be, uh, you know, really uh, impressive wins or whether that be your resume or whether that be maybe the quarterback that you're uh, starting or maybe a backup quarterback, whatever it may be. So that's kind of what I see. I I thought I would be able to recognize a trend or a pattern. This is what they're prioritizing. They actually haven't prioritized anything necessarily. Yeah. Well, and I did watch a little bit of the coverage and they talked about, you know, at this point, it's about who we think would meet, be, you know, beat the other on a neutral field kind of thing. Uh, who okay. are the strongest teams? And that's where, you know, that's that's subjective at a lot of levels. But using the metrics and the analytics to where, where everything you just said about Michigan, even though they haven't beaten anybody, um, they've been dominant against everybody. Uh, Georgia had a couple close losses. But, yeah, Georgia has accomplished a lot. Uh, Ohio State has the best resume. Florida State's the one that's kind of getting, getting uh, you know, the least, least respect in this. But I would also say – for Texas fans to watch, if, if somehow, I don't think it'll happen, if LSU were to beat Alabama this week, that would be a pivot deal because yes. then all of a sudden the win for Texas over Alabama yeah. looks lesser and the win for Florida State over LSU looks better. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, for LSU to beat Alabama second straight year. But you never know. That's a great rivalry game uh, in the Southeastern Conference. So that's your point, Rod. I mean, there's this is kind of the outline of the puzzle. There's so much to be played, so many pieces to be laid, so many games to be played here in the next four weeks uh, that will change everything. Each little piece adds new layers to the conversation. By the way, there's no doubt Michigan's getting Dean, too. I mean, I know they haven't played anybody, but you just talk about how dominant they've been. They're definitely getting Dean right now, as they should. Yeah, well, now the the picture's out today of Connor Stallions on the sideline at Central Michigan – with a hat on and trying to look like a coach, Central Michigan assistant coach. I mean, does anybody State game? I haven't seen. Does anybody is, is are people thinking that's actually him? The, the 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 conspiracy theory is that that is him. I think the amateur sleuths on in the Twitterverse and online are trying to figure it out. But there is some strong evidence that they're coming up with right now that it may let, be coming down. Let me tell you something. If that's actually him, ooh, that is as uh, probably the most egregious thing I've seen in college sports. Yeah, to be on a, 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 a different team's sidelines. Michigan on the CMU sidelines and CMU gear. Yeah. That's, that's I, I, mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not even sure. I got yeah, I got to do some research on this thing because I'm with you. I I cannot believe they would be that that blatant and that uh, disrespectful with it, but maybe they were. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, and, and that and everyone's going to do the uh, – you know, the, the photographic, is that him? Is that not? Is that somebody that looks like him? Everybody's going to go through the roster of who works at C, you know, CMU and all of that. Who would that cut possibly be if it's not Connor Stallions? Uh, but that's what's happening now. And you said this last week, Jerry, at this very time, that this thing is a, a slippery slope and we're just at the tip of it. And, you know, once you get not just sports investigative journalists digging on a story, now you've got news investigative journalists like the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, they're digging in on this thing. Uh, that's not good for Jim Harbaugh. No, I, I think it's really, really bad. And I jokingly have said they're going to be handing out show causes like Halloween candy in Ann Arbor, but they really are. This is going to end very badly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's your top uh, seven or ten. And, and obviously, uh, as that pertains to the Longhorns, it's, it's kind of cool, as we said to start the show, that here we are in 2023 talking about this. Uh, Sark and the, this team have, with, as you said, Rod, good football character, put themselves in this spot. They're still a flawed team, as all of them are. Uh, and now it's about the next four, November to remember, as I said. And how do they make it that? Uh, that'll be the next conversation on the Longhorn live stream. Uh, but, man, it is – yeah, see, people call out my dog. My dog gets chills here. They want, uh, you, they want, to, know, they want to know the name. That's Chelsea. Chelsea, okay. That's Chelsea, yeah. That is our little uh, – she likes to be around the whole the action, right? She just she I like it. <laughs> she's awesome. Hey, I love yeah, she's Justin good. Wells' dog was snoring on the recruiting break. Now when we taped it, <laughs> we can Not actually hear the dog snoring. She's <laughs> like, man, I need, I need, I need some more hitting, some breaking news on here, man. I'm bored. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. He's, he, he must have been watching Red Zone like Rod. 
<laughs> hey, I'm halfway through. I'm actually halfway through the season watching all the red zone plays. So I'll let y'all know what I find. <laughs> all right, halfway, but well, that's a lot. But what's your initial thought about how this gets better? Can it get better? Or this just is what Texas is right now. And kick your field goals and take your points, no matter how much that hurts Sark's heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you know, I think I think it's an identity issue with Texas. I, I think offensively Sark is not sure exactly what they, they need to lean on. You know, we talked about this earlier in the season, but Jonathan Brooks' ascent was a pleasant surprise, but still a surprise. Um, and I think identity-wise, when you're trying to build the offense around things you do well, if not better than everybody else, I'm not sure Sark anticipated the running game being as good as it is. And when he gets out of the red zone, what I've noticed, I mean, it's a lot of variety, and it's great, but it may be to the point, it may be variety for the wrong reasons. Not variety because you're good at a lot of things, variety because you're not you're sure searching. what you're good at. You're yeah, <laughs> exactly. Variety because you're like, man, I'm not sure what the hell's going to work down there. All right, throw Jumbo at it. All right, let's throw this at it. Throw 21 at it. Throw this at it. And, and Texas has the ability to do that because they have so many di uh, diverse personnel groupings and they have so many great athletes. Um, but also, I think it shows you a bit of an identity crisis. And when you get down the red zone, most teams double down on what they're good at. If you got a great player, you force feed the football to that great player. We're going to find a way to get that guy the football. If it's about your innovation and creativity, you know, the Miami Dolphins right now are leading the NFL in touchdown percentage in the red zone. I think they're, they're like over 70% touchdown percentage in the red zone when the rest of the NFL is at a, uh, I think the low, they're the lowest point since 2011. So by the way, Sark ain't the only one struggling in the red zone. The NFL struggling in the red zone. And he has a pro-style offense, which kind of tracks. That's football theory. That's a way deeper macro subject. Um, but I think one of the things that uh, Miami does really well, they use a lot of misdirection, innovation, and creativity. They never really try to play bully ball when they get down there. And what I'm noticing early on is that Sark wants to play bully ball, but his most successful plays, at least where I'm looking at right now, like I said, I'll go track it and find you guys the actual rates and percentages um, but it looks like all the metrics that I'm looking at looks like that the jumbo packages, when they get big, you want to play bully ball, the deeper they get in the red zone, actually is working against them. That is, it's not working. And I, you should, I agree, you should be better. You got big humans. So I think Sark, I think honestly, it's a pride thing for Sark. I think Sark's a little bit embarrassed. I think he's a little bit embarrassed because he's been bragging about these big humans <laughs> for a long time. We're making t shirts about big humans, big humans. And to have big humans, who actually can't actually, you know, be physical at the point of attack in goal line or short yardage situations. I think Sark's a little embarrassed about that. That's why he keeps doubling down. That's why even y'all like take the field goal. He's like, hell no, we going jumbo and we going to run it on them. We're doing it, it my way. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to make a statement not only to the opposing team but also to himself that yeah. hey, my big humans think it's gonna work. All right. I just got to be steadfast. And I got to be committed to it. When in actuality, now at this point, we're halfway through the season. You're, you might be hurting your team more than you're helping your team at this point, because uh, we talked about it. Guys, red zone offense is the, the way it's the reason they lost that Oklahoma game. That and two minute defense in the end. And then turnovers are probably the top three factors in this game versus K-State. If they lose, I, I am probably 80 percent sure it's going to come down to the lack thereof of red zone offense. I, I think a couple of things there, too. Here's my prediction uh, based on some things I heard today. I'm in a long conversation. If this isn't the most spirited offensive line Texas has put on the field this, this year, I'll be surprised Saturday. I think there was some real chewings Sunday, okay? The, if these guys don't come out with a, the, a level of physicality Texas hadn't played with this year on the offensive line, I'll be very surprised. Uh, two questions I have for, for you, Rod, and I would joked about it Sunday night, but I'm also serious about it. I, I, I just wonder if the first time you get down there inside the five, inside the three, you just come out and spread with Savion Red in empty and just make force Kansas State to call a timeout. They haven't seen it before. They're probably going to react with a timeout. So, one, you get in the burn a timeout. Two, if they don't burn a timeout, you know, maybe you find something that really works for you because I – I tend, I'm like you, spread it out, out of Red Cat. All he's got at that point, that's what he did in high school. He didn't play in jumbo formation in high school. He played spread high school football in Texas. Yeah. Spread these guys out. All you need is DJ Campbell to hit one guy 
and Savion Red's going to get into the end zone. He's got to connect one time, and he'll get into the end zone. Yeah, and you can all you can guarantee a light box, right? Because if you yes. spread them out enough, that you not only guarantee a light box, you can guarantee zero man coverage on the outside too. A lot of times, because nobody's gonna play a zone and nobody's gonna you know try to play a lot of complicated coverages down there. You're just going zero, or you're going man across the board. Yeah. Uh, so I'm with you. I mean, in a sense, that's what I think one of the issues may be for Sark. Sark more so, and I, that's one of the things I also noticed just early on because like, I'm not done watching all the red zone plays. Sark runs more condensed, compressed formations than most teams in the power five. I think he's top 10. If you look at width of formation, he's top 10 in the most condensed and compressed sets in all of college football. And that makes sense. We've, we've seen it, right? He likes to reduce splits by the wide receivers. Bringing the birds to the cat unless you block it perfectly. Yes, and he wants to add uh, blockers to the run game with the wide receivers and force DBs to have to be forced in the in run game and run support. So it all makes sense. But when you get down in the red zone, uh, space is already restricted. That's why defenders actually feel comfortable down there because I don't got def- I don't have to defend every route on the route tree. I don't have to defend the deep ball down there. Actually, I can rally to a lot of plays and be late on a lot of plays. So I think down there, he may want to think about spreading things out instead of going with the compressed, condensed formations all the time because you actually help the defense in that situation because what they want to do is they want to put as many guys close to the box as possible and still be able to defend all the receiving threats well when you have a compressed condensed set you help them out they can they can by alignment they can defend all the receiving threats and by alignment also be forced in the run support all they gotta do is read it correctly and you ain't got enough time there to do a a really deliberate uh long developing play action play everything's gonna be quick hitting it's gonna be an rpo or you're gonna be a straight drop back or you're gonna hand it off it's those three so the defenders can react quickly so i think you might be right on to something when you're saying so needs to spread it out a little bit more empty that box and then start to you know manipulate some of the matchups on the outside or then you can win the win the numbers advantage because you know you got the size advantage inside. Win right. that size and girth advantage inside with the run game. Well, I'm with you, Jerry, on that. Rod and I actually spoke about that this morning, and Rod brought up the great DB point that you know now you get you know just play the slants, play the quick routes because he's probably not going to throw. But at the same time, you know you just spread things out and you get Savion Red back in a comfort zone, and it's something K State hadn't seen. No matter what you are to this point in the red zone, you're trying to win this game. You're right. trying to win this ball game because if you do, the net rest of November is very manageable. Even with what does Rod say? Break tendencies in big games. Break tendency, yeah. yeah, and force them to take a timeout. Force them to defend it. Maybe put a little motion in there too to get some eye candy as you're doing that and whatever it might be. But yes, I mean to the big humans, I agree with you that Sark said pretty clearly on Monday. You know, I, I let him have it a little bit Monday morning, and I think that was the offensive line, the guys. But you know, if you do make their job a little easier that it's win one battle, win one battle here uh, and let a good quarterback who's done this before find a one crease from two, you know, yard or two out. We get in the end zone. You do that two or three times and all of a sudden the red zone issues have been a, have been what they are, but you win this football game and we're not talking about it. Come Monday, you're talking about a team that uh, is eight and one and and looking forward to three more games. I I wonder if it's possible that Sark is focusing too much on Texas in the red zone and not enough on the opponent. And I know, you know, that's kind of counter uh, intuitive to what I brought up earlier that you double down the offensive identity. But I mean, definition of insanity is, you know, trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So maybe as a change of pace, maybe just focus on what their weakest at, what the defense struggles with in the red zone, where they're vulnerable, where you can exploit them, whether it be matchups, whether it be a corner who doesn't cover well in man or doesn't cover well in zone, or whether it be uh, someone on their defensive line that has bad technique in short yard situations. I think maybe they need to be more, since they've obviously done the internal, all right, investigation. They've looked at all the deep dive analytics and metrics about themselves and how they uh, can improve in the red zone. And they haven't really come up with any adjustments that are working, any any countermeasures that seem to be working, maybe now start focusing on your opponents more and their weaknesses and what and that there's something that they they're vulnerable in that can be exploited in the red zone and maybe that's the way you go or you know like Greg Davis oh man that's how you know we're desperate in the red zone bringing up Greg Davis Greg <laughs> Davis would always say right think players not plays down there instead of the plays man let's go players let's just go with your best players and force feed them the football. Either way, Sark's got to switch it up and change it up because, like I said, the more I went back and watched just the first half of the season in the red zone, 
And on the rewatch, it's worse. It's worse. Yeah. It's actually worse than you think. You're like, ah, oh, on rewatch, it'll, it'll you know, it won't no, look as bad as you think. No, no, it's worse. It's it's just as bad as you think, if not worse. Yeah. Hey, uh, guys, tonight's live stream brought to you by Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texas. When energy becomes your energy provider or Texas, Energy Texas becomes your provider. You're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas. Texans and proud to be from the great state in union and prouder to still be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's Energy Texas bringing you tonight's live stream. I listen to you, Rod, say uh, go with players. And that's where I keep coming back to that play last week that I really liked on fourth down where you got JT Sanders coming outside and Jordan yeah. Whittington a block on a receiver. And one guy for BYU makes a hell of a play, you know, beats Jordan Whittington on the block, tackles 6'6", 250 <laughs> JT Sanders before you get to the goal line. To me, that's a player is not a play, but at the same time, BYU made a play. So for me, it's like you know, Halloween candy. It's a mixed bag of things. Uh, a lot of different things happening with Texas, but at the end of the day, you got to win this game. That's what uh, is exciting about this Tuesday is yep. there's one game. You win this one, you really are in a good place the rest of November to uh, to do some big things. How big of a recruiting game is this, Jerry? Uh, what are we looking at as far as that goes? Uh, a home game, Fox, Big Noon Fox is in town and that yeah. kind of stuff. Is this a big one or not much? Well, the, the 11 a.m. start makes it tougher, right? It's the last week of the high school season, regular season in Texas. 11 a.m. start makes it a little more difficult to get kids to this game. Um, look, they, they're bringing in um, uh, Elijah Lofton, the official visit, the uh, tight end, H-back, slot, uh, big slot committed to uh, Miami out of Bishop Gorman is scheduled to come in for an official visit. He's, he's not a big kid, 6'1", 220, 225, but he's got plus four wingspan. So he's a long-arm kid. Uh, he's a physical kid. He's a quick kid. But it speaks to they know they have to get better blocking out of this tight end position moving forward to make, and making sure they have versatility in that. Spencer Shannon, an inline guy, but they have to have that versatility. Some of the things they're asking JT Sanders to do, in pass pro one on one with Nelson Caesar, which is a tough ass, you got to have somebody really good to do that if you're asked to do it, Rod. Um, mm-hmm. So then you got some 2025s coming in. Look, they've invited Dominic McKinley. Uh, it's a maybe committed to AM. It's a maybe. Uh, TJ Lindsay at IMG committed to Auburn. It's a maybe. But again, 11 a.m. traveling east to west, uh, 11 a.m. could be a little tough there. Uh, because the tax the Texas staff gets to the stadium at 845 for the 11 a.m game so that's a tough d- deal to bring in kids that are flying in out of state um so it, it's a little bit of a tough ask but there's some 2025s uh Michael Fasusi, the top 2025 offensive lineman in the state the top offensive lineman in the state period John Turntine the sophomore at North Crowley he was on campus and offered uh, Saturday he's special guys special. Uh, Rod and I may talk about him next week a little bit just because he deserves it. Um, Dylan Battle, the lineman out of Mansfield, Timberview in 25 is coming in. Zion Williams from Lufkins is a strong maybe to come in. Uh, so that list building, uh, there, it's going to be a good group, but that 11 a.m. start is going to keep some guys away. You know, like so the, the Byron Washington, the mammoth offensive lineman at the Soto said he can't make it down that start time. Uh, so that's going to keep some guys away, but it's going to be a good recruiting weekend. Uh, for sure for Texas. But what you know what makes it a great w- recruiting weekend is all these kids are going to be watching that game if they win. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, that's a seven is a seven versus 23 in the college football playoff game now, the rankings. Yeah. K-State's mm-hmm. 23rd. Yeah, it's interesting looking at that, by the way. Tulane's 24 and Air Force is 25. I guess A&M's 26 or 100. I don't know which one they're <laughs> <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. Station. <laughs> yeah, well, Lane, Lane Kiffin said Monday that uh, Jimbo Fisher's goal is bowl eligibility. That's what he's looking for, right? <laughs> Lane's, Lane's oh, very man. much enjoying uh, the a struggles. Oh, he is. He is. He is. Uh, and makes it pretty clear in his very, very uh, calculated way. Uh, guys, K-State, uh, let's talk about that on a Longhorn live stream on a Tuesday. We know what Texas's issues are, strengths and weaknesses. We go through them where it's under a microscope. Uh, what has been the key to this K-State turn? We saw them lose to Missouri. And I know, Rod, you watched that game where Missouri got them through the air and, and won on a, on a 60-yard field goal at the buzzer, 37-34. Uh, and Missouri has gone on to show they're a pretty good team for Eli Drinkwitz. And then there's uh, the loss at, at on a Friday night at Stillwater where we all kind of came in that Saturday morning going, really? K-State lost to that bad Mike Gundy team? Because well, that was, what, the week all... after South Alabama or two weeks after mm-hmm. South Alabama? Two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks, yeah. Oklahoma stayed out. Yeah, and... just crushed them. And Mike Gundy went to the microphone that Monday and said, no, we're good. I watched the film. We can get this fixed. And what do you know? Uh, they've gotten it fixed. And I'll say this, for that Bedlam game, 2.30 on Saturday, if Oklahoma State wins that game, if you look at their next three – you might as well just pencil them into the call to the Big Twelve Championship game. Uh, I mean, uh, crazy. <laughs> I mean, they win that game. After that is UCF, U of H, and BYU. Yeah, yeah. Mike Gundy's yeah. a hell of a coach. We've been knowing this at, in Longhorn Country for a long time. Mike Gundy just can he just a good old ball coach. Is he is he the great is he a great coach for your program in the modern era of college football? Probably not because he's anti NIL. He's anti transfer portal. He hates all that stuff. When it comes to coaching ball. Man, Mike Gundy, he's he's a hey, real deal. Hey, hey Rod, <laughs> so let let's start this off with K State. Tell people here um, what he did against Kansas State. Now Kansas State's different because they hadn't introduced Avery Johnson. They yeah. waited until they got the Lubbock uh, uh, to end all of Texas Tech's dreams this year. But um, tell everybody how Oak State and Gundy attacked Kansas State. Because you know Sark's watching that tape this yep. week. And that's and that's probably the best. If you're looking at the two losses, right? Like the Missouri loss for K-State and you're looking at the Oklahoma State loss. If you're looking at a formula that Texas could come closely to replicating, it would probably be the Oklahoma State model. And the beauty of the Oklahoma State model, gentlemen, is that you know, we know that K-State runs that dreaded three high three down defense. Well, when Jim Knowles was at Oklahoma State. I mean, that was part of the DNA defensively of Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy was there the whole time. Mike Gundy knows how to exploit the three high, three down. And anybody knows he how to hired do it. him for a reason. <laughs> exactly, right? He knows the conference really well and he knows that defense really well. And I got to say, go back and look, guys, at how many three by one sets, trips to one side, whether it be out of 11 personnel, whether that be with reduced splits or whether that be with bunch formations, but three receivers to one side of the field, a single receiver to the other side. You often see uh, K-State try to zone one side, man up the other, but it was it was brilliant what it did in the run game. And, and it fits my theory, and I think Sark is on to this too, it fits my theory about how to, to really expose the three high three down the, the, the three high three down the the magic to it the the secret sauce to it right it's unique quality is distortion it's the, it, it disguises defenses and coverages as well as if not any defensive presentation out there today it is only it's less than 10 years old and defenses have not figured out how to how to beat it on a kind of natural built-in baked in beaters within their game plans and their playbooks but I think something that some of the great coordinators and offensive minds are starting to figure out that if you can get it out of its disguise, if you can force the three high out of its shell disguise and distortion and, and force them to have to reveal their either run fits or have to reveal their coverage for one reason or another, then that's half the battle. You've taken away their, their, their biggest strength in the three high, three down, which is disguise. And then you give your quarterback better indicators in the passing game. And but then in the run fits, more importantly, your your blocking schemes know exactly who they're supposed to block. One of the things that's great about the three high, three down, and I love I had a defensive coordinator tell me this, and it was a brilliant, just you know, the light went off for me. He said, just because you got six guys in the box does not mean there are just six guys in the fit. 
You can have eight, nine guys in the run fit, but only six guys in the box. That's the modern era of defense, right? Because you have, as, a de- as a defensive coordinator, you got to solve this riddle. Solve this riddle. How do you defend more space with fewer defenders? If I was, if I was interviewing as a head coach, interviewing defense coordinators, I would ask that question and I would look at them and see if they, how bewildered and stupefied they look, or if they got a plan to defend more space with fewer defenders. That one of the answers to that question is the three high three down because you can swing run fits from different angles, stuff like that. And that, that really is confusing for blockers as to know where the defenders are coming from who are in those run fits. All right. Because they're not necessarily in the box already. So the, the point of the extreme formations like a three by one is or extreme personnel packages like a six O line package or an empty formation, all that stuff is, is that that three high three down pre-snap disguise, they'll abandon it so they can get to their alignment assignment. That gives your blocking scheme and your quarterback better indicators of what they're supposed to do and how to execute the play. Hey, Rod, is, is, is part of this if you run a trips to one side of the field? You get one of those safeties. He ha- he has to declare to the trip to. side. Okay, so the opposite side of the formation, you're pretty much attacking as a regular two deep at that time, in a way. Yep. So that's to me. That's what a guy like Gundy's looking at. Okay, I have trips on one side. I'm making one of those guys declare. So now my quarterback essentially is going to work the other half of the field against the two deep look, there and he's go. accustomed to seeing that. Yes, you got you got two you got two high beaters already baked into your game plan and your playbook. You know that, but yeah, the three high is a little bit more in, in, intricate and complicated to read. So that's yes. all it, 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 and, and that's what they did, guys. They ran it all. I, I they ran it all game long. They ran. I, I thought, oh man, they're gonna just run it in the first half, maybe on the script. All game long, they kept going back to where they were throwing the football, where they were running the football. And I think it's for the reasons that Jerry just brought up. And I think you're going to see a lot of that from Sark. Also, um, that Oklahoma State, man, they, Oklahoma State, they also did a great job. Obviously, Ali, Ali Gordon's one of the best running backs. Um, but you can go watch it. They'll go three by one with what they call a nub tight end. That's just a single inline tight end, old school inline tight end. He's in a three-point stance, and they got trips to the opposite side. Yeah. Oh, man, they would run to that nub side, too. And essentially, just the reason you said, Jerry, they and they, sometimes they go formation, like into the boundary, and run to the nub side on the wide side because they understand that that safety back in, they got to respect the formation. You got to respect the numbers in the formation. If not, you just made the check of the quarterback a whole lot easier because we got the numbers advantage in the passing game. So it it forces that defense to declare. That's basically the, the gist of it. Yeah. Well, in that game against K-State, 29-21 was the score on a Friday night, and they forced Will Howard into three interceptions in that game. And to your yeah. point, Jerry, the next week is when you saw Avery Johnson come in because uh, we know there's good Will Howard, then there's bad Will Howard. And I think Chris Klein was like, man, we got to have an alternative if uh, if our guy's having a bad night. And Ollie Gordon kind of blew up in that game with 136 yards rushing. Uh, this could be a Jonathan Brooks kind of game against K-State. Uh, but, man, their numbers since that Oklahoma State game on that Friday night in Stillwater, I mean, they've been dominant the next three games. They really have. They broke out the Avery Johnson package, which is he's the four-star kid out of the state of Kansas who chose K-State over Oregon and Washington. You can correct me on that, Jerry. I mean, he was recruited by you know, high-end yeah, universities, right. ended up at K-State, and he is a, a legit 4-4 guy who can run, great athlete, uh, and he's kind of that change of pace player. We saw him against Texas Tech, had five touchdowns rushing in that game. Yep. And they, uh, you know, the following week blow out. Then last week they blow out Houston. Last two weeks, I believe the score is 82 to three. Yeah. Uh, so they've really found something. They've been dominant uh, coming out of that Texas Tech game. It was almost like that Oklahoma State game forced them to change some, some things. And that's what Texas will deal with. They've been great on third down the last three weeks. They've been great both ways. You know, their offense converting and staying on the field, staying ahead of the chains in their defense forcing third longs and getting off the field. That's why the, uh, the numbers, the 82 to three have been so one-sided. Uh, this is a, this is a game where the lines of scrimmage have to be really good. Malik certainly can't turn the ball over in this game. You got to be very careful from that against this group. And uh, you know, it's going to be the most physical team Texas will have played since Alabama. Do we agree on that? Oh, hundred percent. Oh, 100%. And by the way, you know, the great thing for Texas this week going against the change of pa- change of pace, Avery Johnson, when he comes in, this is where you're glad 
Jalen Daniels didn't play against Texas because they've seen Jason Bean. They've seen Jalen Milrow. They've seen two high-level athletes running the football from the quarterback position. So this defense won't be reacting like, oh, my God, who is that that just ran by me? They've seen it twice, and that's a good thing for the Texas defense Saturday. Like, uh, I agree with that one. Texas Tech had no way to prepare for what hit them in, in Lubbock. They had There wasn't enough on tape. The kid was a true freshman. You know, he played sparingly in a couple of games. But the way they broke him out, there was no way that Texas Tech could prepare and react to that till it was too late. Texas has seen two guys who are very good runners with athleticism this year, and that's going to help them Saturday. And they've got tape on them. I agree with that. Well, and you said it a minute ago, Jerry, that piqued my interest to the conversation that you had today, that uh, this will be an energetic bunch up front. Is that what you would say? A, a team that's going to come with some piss and vinegar in their ass kind of thing? These guys aren't motivated after that tongue lashing. Huh? They never will be. <laughs> that's all i got to say. That was ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two well, goal line uh, stands. I got that. I mean, what's the last time you've seen a team against any other team have two goal line stands in the same game? Two. Um, so I, I think that's what really upset Sark. He's like, gosh, they stopped us twice on the goal yep. line, twice. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think they're going to come out and, you know, this game could come down because we know that K-State's going to run the football. I would just, I would describe K-State's offense as a power spread, a multiple power spread offense yep. with tons of motion, tons of misdirection, uh, with constant RPO conflicts for second level defenders, uh, you know. What I mean, I know it's a lot, but that's kind of what there's a there's a lot involved with this offense too. But they want to run the football, and they're good at it. They're good at running the football, even when you know. I, I'm not really impressed necessarily with the skill positions on the outside. Yeah. They got some serviceable receivers. I'm not, you know, saying they're not they U of H O U or Bama though. Exactly. Right. Where they have talent is actually in the backfield. We talk about the quarterbacks. They got two of them, as he just mentioned. And the running backs are actually pretty impressive in the running game. And they got a, you know, kind of a, a group of running backs and even the tight end. Um, I don't know if it's Sano or Sanat, how you pronounce his name. He's a good player, too. So that's really their core. And he he, he can hurt you as a blocker because he blocks well in the running game. But also when they go play action, they go RPO. They really like to involve him. He also hurts the second-level defender. So to me, man, this game could end up being a short game with the new rules. I, because, I think so. Right? If Texas wants to run the football and then they obviously want to run the football, you may not have a lot of possessions, Texas, to get it in. So everyone's going to count, man. It's gonna Rod, Rod and Aaron, I think the number one most important thing at, at – well, turnovers is always one. Number two, first down run defense. And I say that – and I've I broken record. I've been saying that in college football because of the running clock rule. But yeah. I, I'll say first down run defense Saturday because – Kansas State is third in the country in third down conversion rate, 56.4%. The only way you do that is if you have a lot of third and shorts. Yep. Um, and the one thing, first down run defense is massively, massively important for this Texas defense because what you don't want to look up and see on the box score after the game if you're a Texas fan is Kansas State rushed 55 times for however many yards and they had 36 minutes time of possession. I think if those two things happen, Texas probably loses the game. They have to get these guys. They can't give them a lot of short, a second and medium, second and shorts in this game. I, because to Rod's point, you saw what happened when BYU, even though they got smoked, and you saw what happened with Wyoming. One of those long drives, how much that just eats out of a, a quarter. If Kansas State does that twice to you, you're down two possessions in that game, and that puts yeah. a lot of pressure on you offensively. You're right. Yeah, we've seen that this year. Rice did, Rice did it in the fourth quarter of the game with uh, uh, week one, which prevented exactly. uh, Arch Manning getting on the field. Wyoming did it a couple times. Obviously, BYU did it in their one drive. I will say, and uh, props to your guys at Inside Texas, Joe Cook, with this on Twitter, but uh, Chris Kleiman had, had his press conference today, said, I think this might be the best Texas team that I've seen in my five years. When I say that, it's because I don't see any weaknesses on either side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, or on special teams, playing with a ton of confidence. He also said, you're not going to be able to make Texas one-dimensional. We've been able to make a few teams that way. We're not going to be able to do that this week against the Longhorns. So, Chris Kleiman, Rod, you said this this morning. I mean, this is a reality for Longhorn fans. This is a team where you're facing, you probably, they have the better coach and quarterback right now, right? Just because you don't have Quinn Ewers. 
Quint, Chris Klein is a championship coach who has also won the Big 12 one year ago or not even a year ago. So, you know, whenever you and I go into games, Jerry, I think you too. I mean, who's got the coaching advantage? Who's got the head, the quarterback advantage? It's not by a ton, but right now it's K-State. Longhorns have the home field. They've got, uh, you know, that going for them. But at the same time, this is why this is a challenging matchup on Saturday. I, I think it's a great coaching week for Sark, by the way, guys. I Because it's going to be – it's so easy for him to say – um, and somebody's joking, are we playing Georgia or Kansas State this week? Oh, you're playing Kansas State, but this is a, uh, this is a, a team that's going to come in and know if they win the game in the trenches, they're going to walk out of Austin with a win. I think that's what makes it a great coaching uh, week for Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, because, look, Texas was the most physical team on the field against Alabama, in my opinion. That Alabama offensive line's better than it was then. Um, playing him in week two, young uh, second-time starter at left tackles, a true freshman. But can it's great for Sark because he's he gets to say, this is going to be the most physical team we've played this year, especially on the offensive line. And I'm challenging our offensive line to play the most physical game they have all season. If Texas is physical, if they win the trenches against Kansas State, Kansas State cannot win the skill battle. Bottom line. That's well said right there. It's the Longhorn live stream on a Tuesday night. Happy Halloween to everybody. Live stream brought to you by Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texas. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas. Texans, proud to be from the great state, uh, greatest state in the union, and prouder to be fighting for the little guy against big power. We appreciate them here on the uh, on Texas Football Tuesday live stream ahead of Texas and K-State. And the month of November is here. Longhorns, if you're just tuning in, are uh, uh, sitting at number seven in the first college football playoff poll, which is out. Ohio State is sitting atop that poll. Longhorns are the second highest one-loss team right behind Oregon, which we could debate that. But at the end of the day, win your games and, uh, you know, things will work out in your favor. you got to win four more games and think the Longhorns will be right where they want to be. Uh, obviously, we'll get to that point down the road, but that's, that's all you can worry about right now. For sure. Uh, guys, says that Jerry with Sark saying and wanting Jonte Cook to see the field and get more involved, do you think uh, at home not featuring Jonte will cause Sark to lose him for not keeping his promise? Okay, well, I have twofold on this. Uh, one, one of them won't be popular probably, uh, but I, oh well. Um, I, I think they got him on the field more, more snaps, obviously. Um, you know, look, I mean, you're not going to be – you get if you can get some favorable coverage – uh, then yeah, I think you attack. You can attack with Jonte, but you're not going to go to him over Worthy. You're not going to come over Mitchell. That's just a reality. Or JT Sanders. So how many targets are left? JT uh, Jordan Whittington didn't catch a pass last week. Um, the second thing I would say is Jonte's got a bright future at Texas in front of him. I mean, he's playing behind essentially two guys that are going to be in the NFL draft. Probably you know maybe a first rounder, maybe a second rounder, third rounder. Guys, so look, it's it's part of the process, and um, you know if you if you aren't willing, uh, you know for some reason to stick with the process, knowing the next two years you're going to be the number one or two option. I mean, good luck to you wherever you go. Texas won't have a problem finding good players. Yeah, I think that's uh, the reality, Rod. I mean, the Longhorns are going to be in a position next year as they head to the SEC, likely to replace their top four ball catchers, uh, Donnie Mitchell, Adnai Mitchell, and. Uh, Xavier Worthy, likely, as, as Jerry just said, top 50 picks in the NFL draft. JT Sanders, Jordan Whittington is out of eligibility. I mean, these are your top four pass catchers. You know, DeAndre Moore, Jonte Cook, even the, the young guy, Ryan Wingo, who just committed. They're going to have to come in and play. Uh, and that's, that's the, as you said, Jerry, part of the process. Yeah, that's why I, mean. I like the Texas. They're playing a lot of those young guys now. We're past the halfway point. So uh, they're done with these, considering these guys freshmen in their evaluations. Uh, so Derek Williams, I, I think he might have played more snaps at safety than anybody else in that game versus BYU. Uh, Anthony Hill getting more snaps in Benda. Um, you know, it's about time for those guys, those young guys, to assert themselves. They have the talent, obviously. Uh, we just need, I think the coaches needed them to earn the trust through live reps in the game. Those are players that have done it. Cedric Baxter, uh, another guy. He said, excuse me, CJ Baxter. Um, he's done it as well. Um, he's another guy that's earned that trust, and it looks like he's going to be giving more reps and playing more. So 
I think that helps you recruit young guys when you're playing young guys, when you get them, you get those young prodigies in, those phenoms in, and you play them, I think it helps you recruit them. And yeah, right now, and, and receiver, we know it's hard to, 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 to crack the circle of trust in Sark's receiver uh, rotation. It, it was at Bama and it has been at Texas. Um, so if you're not in that top three receiver rotation at Texas for uh, three to four guys, and most of the time with Sark, you just you don't you're just left out in the cold. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And I, he just only trusts the guys who are in that top four. He's never been like a Tom Herman type coach where no. he has a very loose, you know, a wide rotation of wide receivers. He's not going to do that. His guys are his guys. Yeah, well, and, you know, for Jonte Cook and for anybody, Sark has certainly earned enough credit that he will play young people, young, young oh, players. Yeah. See Kelvin Banks, see Xavier Worthy, see Anthony Hill, Cedric Baxter. But at the same time, you know, Jonte's playing in the deepest position on the team, quite arguably, and uh, where you have the most talent uh, of any room on your on your squad. That's just the reality of the situation. It, for it, us, it is. One it of looks, the I mean, of trust. DJ Campbell starting in year two. He was a five-star player. He didn't start year one. He started in year two. So because some guys do have to have patience. Some of those guys, there's going to be the opportunity for Kelvin Banks. When he came in, the offensive line was a disaster. All he had to do was be better than one guy in front of him so they could move Christian Jones back to the right side where he's better anyways, right? Yeah. So they want – Kelvin Banks had to win that job for Texas. Uh, Anthony Hill, great opportunity there. Look at the linebackers lost. Look at the opportunity there. Um, you know, I mean, it, there's a couple – but DJ Campbell, look, he came in as a five-star prospect. He needed a little time to bake. He's a first-year starter. It's going to work out great for him. You have to exercise a little patience. I know it's difficult for some of these kids, but every, every five-star isn't an instant starter. Uh, it takes time. And the guys that are willing to be patient for a year, the guys have been patient in Nick Saban's system for, year, for a decade. They had five stars not starting or playing a lot as freshmen. Those guys ended up still getting drafted, though. So you just got to have a little patience sometimes. It's, it's easier said than done. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about it uh, when we weren't the five-star recruit and, and, and everybody's saying what should be happening for you uh, sometimes instead of what's the reality for you. Uh, but, look, I, I would tell kids, look at Georgia, look at Alabama, look mm -hmm. what Sark's building at Texas. All those five-star guys weren't instant impact guys. But you know what? They all live their dreams. Yeah, we saw one last night on Monday Night Football. Josh Jacobs was the third string running back in Alabama, got drafted in the first round and led the NFL in rushing last year. Uh, Kabir, uh, appreciate the super chat, wants to know, does a one-loss UT Big 12 champ get in regardless of what other teams do? They're too big as a brand not to include in the CFP at this point. Well, look, I mean, that's the, the puzzle that we can play out, and it's all speculation at this point of what's going to happen. I would say this, there is a scenario, and we can put it on the table now if we want to from five weeks to go, where Georgia wins out and is in. The winner of Michigan, Michigan Ohio State is going to be in. Uh, Florida State, if they don't take a loss, they're going to be in. That's so now there's one spot left. Uh, so now you're down to the Pac-12 Pac champion yep. and, and the Big 12, 12. champion. Yep. Uh, so that's the debate. I mean, obviously, if you're – you know, I, I don't see Florida State losing another game. Uh, I don't know if Michigan will lose another one or Ohio State outside of the other uh, and then Georgia. So those are three spots of the four. There's one left. Washington is currently the uh, the undefeated team there, and they beat Oregon. Oregon's at, just ahead of Texas. But, you know, that's the scenario. Is it going to be the Pac-12? Uh, you know, if it plays out that way, is it the Pac-12 team or is it the Big 12 team? I mean, that becomes the debate. Oregon, Oregon has a tremendously favorable schedule down the stretch here. I mean, they have Cal at home this week, at, uh, at USC at home in two weeks, which that's going to be a total ass kicking. And then they have at Arizona State, and then they have Oregon State at home. Obviously, rivalry game, but they have three or four at home to end the regular season. They have a very favorable schedule down the stretch of the regular season. Yeah. And I don't sit here, Rod, and pretend to know how that would play out if those undefeated top three – whether it's Michigan or Ohio State, Florida State and Georgia, take care of business. There's one spot left. I, you know, if it's a one-loss Texas versus a one-loss Oregon or Washington, I don't, I don't know how they would pick that. I really don't because the Longhorns, this would be a huge win here. I mentioned that the opposing win percentage that the Longhorns have already accomplished to this point, the win at Alabama matters, uh, to, to maybe get to fate and avenge Oklahoma. 
in a Big 12 championship game would be big. But uh, sitting here on the uh, on Halloween night, I don't know if I could project how the committee would go. Texas is a huge brand, but uh, man, that, that's 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 the scenario. And obviously, we know upsets happen; it gets flipped over, things you know change quickly. But that is the scenario that uh, you know is is currently most likely. But doesn't mean that's how it's going to play out. Yep, there's a chance that Texas gets left out, but. Um, I'm with you. We see so much, <laughs> so many upsets late down the stretch. There's no way it holds like the in, in the current uh, model. There's no way it holds uh, with that top six team. So there will be an opportunity if Texas takes care of business. Recent history says there will be an opportunity for them to leapfrog into the top four if they can take care of business and remain undefeated for the rest of the season. There will be a chance if they don't and they lose out. Here next week, uh, sorry, this weekend or in the Big 12 title game, then it's all moot, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So all you can do is win your games and see where the puzzle gets played and the chips get laid uh, is how that will play out. I mean, obviously you could root for, you know, Penn State somehow to beat Michigan because <laughs> that game I believe is in Happy Valley. Then they've got to play Ohio State, you know, kind of knock each other off. The Pac-12, you know, you're rooting for Oregon to take another loss, but Jerry just laid out their – Favorable schedule. Washington has kind of skidded by the last couple of weeks, so you don't know. But, yeah, I mean, as it stands now, I think it's going to come down to the Pac-12 versus the Big 12 for that final spot. I think so as well. And, look, and I totally agree with what people are saying. Washington has to lose for Oregon to play in a conference championship game. I was just pointing out that I don't think Oregon's taking a loss. I mean, Oregon's Oregon's going to be an 11-1 and team. And, by the way, that Oregon-Washington – Oregon should have won that game. I mean, if anybody watched it, Dan Lanning and the fourth down go for it decisions. I mean, they should have won that football game. Uh, they are probably the most outside of Michigan, and we don't know what's going on there. Michigan, uh, Georgia, uh, Oregon is the most balanced team, offense to defense. They are, they lead the FBS in fewest turnovers committed. Bo Nix, a real good player, and it's just that, you know, their kicker missed a, a, a field goal that could have put him in overtime against Washington on the road. And, Dan Lanning kept going forward over and over again, uh, and I think it cost his team. But in the end, they're they're a really quality football team. Yeah, and Oregon State will be – people saying Oregon State will be a tough game. for. Hey, look, it's rivalry games. They're going to be tough games. But Oregon will be a heavy favorite in that game at home. Heavy favorite. Yeah. Well, Rod, man, Longhorns found out. Rivalry games, Rod, you never know, right? Uh, Florida, State still has to, Florida State still has to play Florida and Miami uh, down the stretch here. Obviously, Ohio State-Michigan is uh, a rivalry game. Georgia still has got to play some tough ones in Macy, Alabama coming up, and that's what is fun about this final month. But, yeah, I mean, there to the question and the answer, there is a scenario by which Texas could win out, win the Big 12, and not get in. There, there just is. I don't know what the likelihood of that is. I don't know what the percentage of that is. But, I mean, it's out there. I mean, it certainly is is possible at this point. Yeah. All right, Jerry, real quick, while we're, we wrap up the last four or five minutes of our Tuesday Longhorn live stream on Halloween, uh, Longhorn basketball played a game last night and uh, beat my alma mater, St. <laughs> Edwards. And I got to give my my goats, you know, Hilltoppers, they actually led the game at the half and uh, kind of outplayed, te- not kind of, they outplayed Texas for the first 20 minutes of the game. And, uh, you know, we're proud of that on the Hilltop. Uh, but then the Longhorns got things going and, and, and blew it out and won the game. What did you take from last night, if anything? And what's the What's the news on the Longhorn Rodney Terry basketball front? I actually think that if St. Edwards played well and Texas didn't kind of match that <laughs> in the first half, it was probably a really good thing for Rodney Terry because he got in there and got to get after those guys, right? Um, and then you kind of saw Texas, what they can be uh, in their current state in the second half. But uh, Caden Shedder, I think there's a chance he plays the season opener number. Uh, again, Texas played without Shedder and They played without a 6'11 rim protector. Long arm athlete that's played three years of basketball at Virginia, really good player. And Dylan Disu, obviously, I don't think he'll be back until December. Uh, Texas is going to take it slow with him because if Shedder comes back, Shedder can and Yemma can can rotate at the five, and that gives you a good combination there of physical and physicality in the paint plus a rim protector guy. I mean, then Brock Cunningham and Mitchell can rotate it forwards more natural. For both of them, and Mitchell can spend a, a little bit of time on the wing if Texas wants to go big. Not a lot. He doesn't have that skill set. But I thought Texas is very good at guard. The Chris Johnson injury, rolled ankle. That that one hurts if he's out because he is the he is the he's the backup point guard if Tyrese Hunter goes out and Ace Ace is still in the field right, or still on the court. 
So there's a little bit there that, that, that they're going to have to work through. I, I just like where this team can head when they get their bigs healthy. I mean, but the bigs are so key because you got to have rim protection. You got to limit second chances for this team to get out and run like they want to. Because if they can run like they want to, they're going to hit a lot of transition threes. Off games for Texas from three this year. Not that they won't have one 20% game where just nothing goes in. Every team does. Their off games are going to be 30%. Their on games are going to be 42 to 45. That's how well they're going to shoot the three this year. Uh, Recruiting-wise, uh, Nick Cody, the top 50 kid in the country, announces his commitment Thursday. Um, I, Texas, Auburn, Miami, U of H has slipped in that one. Um, that would be a big one for Texas. Top 50 kid in the country, 6'9", power forward. His dad, Nakia Cody, played at Baylor and in the NFL. His uncle, Dustin Armstrong, played wide receiver at Texas. Obviously, Nakia Cody and Dustin Armstrong, both from Cleburne High. And I think Texas is in a pretty good spot for Trey Johnson, number four player in the country. Uh, I expect him to sign in that early window, which is November 9th through 15th. So we'll see what happens. All right, guys, it's been fun. Happy Halloween to y'all. It's the Longhorn live stream on a Tuesday night here on, on Texas football, part of Inside Texas. Live stream brought to you by Energy Texas every Tuesday night. Uh, energy Texas is for Texans by Texas. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people here in the great state, not back east, not overseas, right here in the uh, greatest state in the union. Uh, proud to be fighting for the little guy against big power, and we appreciate them very, very much. Guys, good stuff. Obviously, Lots to talk about this week, a lot to come. Uh, Sark will have another availability on Thursday, but uh, it's it's a backup quarterback situation against a really good team that's that's on the rise. Uh, Going to be fun. I know our Longhorn uh, live stream viewers and uh, on Texas football viewers are excited for the 11 o'clock kick against K-State. Guys, we appreciate it. Got it, guys. Nice. Hook them. Hook them. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs>